Let's open up God's Word to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 36. And we will read verses 16 through 32. We do so in connection with Lord's Day 36 of the Heidelberg Catechism. We will consider only Lord's Day 36, not 36 and 37. But let's begin by reading Ezekiel chapter 36, beginning at verse 16. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, when the house of Israel dwelt in their own land, they defiled it by their own way and by their doings. Their way was before me as the uncleanness of a removed woman. Wherefore, I poured my fury upon them for the blood that they had shed upon the land and for their idols wherewith they had polluted it. And I scattered them among the heathen. And they were dispersed through the countries according to their way and according to their doings I judged them. And when they entered unto the heathen, whither they went, they profaned my holy name. And they said to them, These are the people of the Lord and are gone forth out of His land. But I had pity for mine holy name which the house of Israel had profaned among the heathen, whither they, went at, whither they went. Therefore say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, I do not this for your sakes, O house of Israel, but for mine holy name's sake, which ye have profaned among the heathen, whither ye went. And I will sanctify my great name, which thou hast profaned among the heathen, which ye have profaned in the midst of them. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, saith the Lord God, when I shall be sanctified in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you and ye shall be clean. From all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. And ye shall dwell in the land that I give to your fathers, and ye shall be my people, and I will be your God. I will also save you from all your uncleanness. I will call for the corn and will increase it, and lay no famine upon you. And I will multiply the fruit of the tree and increase of the field that ye shall receive no more reproach of famine among the heathen. Then shall ye remember your own evil ways and your doings that were not good, and shall loathe yourself in your own sight for your iniquities and for your abominations. Not for your sakes do I this, saith the Lord God. Be it known unto you, be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. Thus far we read God's Word. It's on the basis of this passage and many others that we have the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 36. This can be found in the back of our blue songbooks after all the songs on page 21. Lord's Day 36 of the Heidelberg Catechism, one of the confessions that arose out of the Protestant Reformation that we officially subscribe to and use as a teaching tool and thus preach through it. Lord's Day 36. What is required in the third commandment? Before we get to that, let's remind ourselves the third commandment is thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. And now the catechism asks, what is required in the third commandment? that we, not only by cursing or perjury, but also by rash swearing, 
must not profane or abuse the name of God, nor by silence or connivance be partakers of these horrible sins in others. And briefly, that we use the holy name of God no otherwise than with fear and reverence, so that He may be rightly confessed and worshipped by us and be glorified in all our words and works. Is then the profaning of God's name by swearing and cursing so heinous a sin that His wrath is kindled against those who do not endeavor as much as in them lies to prevent and forbid such cursing and swearing? It undoubtedly is, for there is no sin greater or more provoking to God than the profaning of His name. And therefore, He has commanded this sin to be punished with death. Congregation, when you think of God's great gifts to you, what comes to mind? And now undoubtedly, at the forefront of our minds, and rightly so, is the gift of His beloved Son, Jesus Christ, whom our Father sent into this world to save us, to redeem us, so that as God's people we say, thanks be unto God for this unspeakable gift. But there are many other gifts that He gives us. He gives us material and physical gifts. He gives us our daily bread and all that we stand in need of from a physical point of view. But now, among the many things that we consider as gifts from God, have you ever considered His name to be one of them? We ought to. Because this is in fact one of the most precious gifts that God has given to us, that He has revealed Himself to us, that He has made known His name to us. And it's when we have that perspective regarding His name that we will then do our utmost to use it in a right manner, to be careful with it, and to guard it even from the abuse of others. And that's what we need to see this morning, this evening as we consider the third commandment and the Heidelberg Catechism's explanation of it. We've been making our way through the Catechism's treatment of the Ten Commandments. And we have been doing so especially from the perspective of God's law as a rule for gratitude. That is, as those who've been redeemed, as those who are saved by grace, we now want to serve our God. And one of the ways that we are to do that is by avoiding all sinful misuse of God's name and instead using His name with fear and reverence. Recognizing that it is indeed a precious gift to us. So this Evening, we consider Lord's Day 36 and the third commandment using as our theme, honoring the gift of God's holy name. First, we'll look at the precious gift of God's name. Second, we will consider the sinful profaning of God's name. And then third, the thankful revering of God's name. Honoring the gift of God's holy name. The precious gift, the sinful profaning, and the thankful revering. Our God has given Himself a name. Really, many names. He is God. He is Lord. He is Jehovah. And there are others. And at the outset of the sermon, we must see that God's names both represent Him and at the same time, they reveal Him. First of all, God's names represent Him. And that should come as no surprise because this is true of names in general. We see this when we look at many of the names that we find in Scripture. They represent that person. For example, there's the name Eve. The name Eve means life and that name represents that first woman ever created because she was the mother of all living. Another name would be Esau who was born 
covered in red hair, and therefore he was given the name Esau, meaning hairy, and later on in life he was called Edom, meaning red. Another example would be Moses, whose name means drawn out because he was drawn out of the waters by Pharaoh's daughter, and God would use Moses to draw his people out of bondage in Egypt. There are many biblical names that represent that person, and to a lesser degree, that's true even of our names. Usually not right away at birth. Usually at birth, uh, the name that our parents gave to us is simply a name that they liked at that time. So that, in large part, our names are labels. They are used to distinguish us from one another. But yet over time, there there comes to be a connection between our name and our person so that if we hear someone's name, we immediately think of that person's face or of that person's character. Our names represent us. Now the point we need to see this evening is that this is infinitely more the case for our God. His names represent Him. And we see that in Scripture that really... From a certain point of view, God is His name and His names are who God is. We see this, for example, in Psalm chapter 8. When the psalmist wants to praise God Himself, he praises God's name. He says in verse 1, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is Thy name in all the earth. He does not say, and he could have, but he does not say, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent art Thou. But he says, how excellent is Thy name. To praise God's name is to praise God Himself. Another example would be Psalm 20, verse 1. The Lord hear Thee in the day of trouble. And now the parallel statement, the name of the God of Jacob defend Thee. Not let God Himself defend Thee, but the name of God, let His name defend Thee. Because to have the name of God defend us is to have God Himself defend us. And what this, these psalms are teaching us is that there is the closest possible connection between God and His names. To have God's name is to have God Himself. His names represent Him. But now God's names not only represent Him, secondly, they reveal Him to us. And here we see a difference between His name and our names, because our names do not reveal anything really about us. They don't really tell you that much. Maybe you could argue, well, they tell us our nationality, and there's some truth to that. The, the specific language that our name is in has a lot to say about where we might have been born or where our ancestors came from. But apart from that, our names don't really tell others anything about us. There are some biblical names in which this is the case. Specifically, names that God Himself assigned to someone later on in life when God would change someone's name. For example, there's the name Abraham. He was called Abram, that is, exalted father, and God changed his name to Abraham, that is, the father of a multitude. And that name reveals something about Abraham and his place in redemptive history. He would be the father of all believers as the book of Galatians teaches us. Now it's true of Abraham. Again, is infinitely more true of our God. His names reveal him. By his names, he reveals himself to us because there's the closest connection between God's being and His names. So those names are really telling us truths about God. Take the name Jehovah. The name that means I am that I am. A name that speaks to the fact that He is independent. He's self-sufficient. He's the sovereign God. He's the unchanging One. And God has given Himself that name because all of those things are in fact true about God. He is in fact the independent one, the self-sufficient one, the unchanging one. And therefore, He has given Himself a name that 
reveals that to us. And because our God is such a glorious God, He's given Himself many different names. No one name can possibly do justice to our God. But He has many different names. And each one reveals something different about our God so that it's like taking a diamond and turning it. There's all the different facets. And each time you turn the diamond, it shines with a a new brilliance, a, a new glory. Well, so it is with God's names. Each one of them tells us something different about our God so that His names are His revelation of Himself to us. And that most certainly applies to the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. For God's people, there is no name so beautiful as the name of our Savior. He is Jesus, Jehovah Salvation. The One who is Jehovah. And the One who came down into this world to save His people from our sins. But again, Just one name is not sufficient to tell us all the glory, all the excellency of our Savior. He has many different names. He is the Christ, God's anointed One, the prophet, priest, and king. He is our Lord that is our ruler, our redeemer. And we could go on with example after example of the many different names of our Savior, each one of which, each one of which reveals something different, something unique about Him. Thus, it's for good reason that it's by believing in the name of Jesus Christ that we are saved. We're baptized into this name. We pray in His name. The name of Jesus Christ is everything to us. So God's names both represent Him and they reveal Him. And because God's name is so glorious, we must see that it's, His name is holy. And that's what the catechism reminds us of in the middle of answer 99. It says that we use the holy name of God no otherwise than with fear and reverence. And for the catechism to use that adjective holy and put that out in front of God's name is for the catechism to draw from Scripture. We see this, for example, In Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 20 through 22, verse 20, God says that they, his people, profaned my holy name. Verse 21, but I had pity for mine holy name. And then again in verse 22, but for my holy name's sake, God will do what's described in the following God's name is holy. That is, God's name is set apart. It's unique among names. It's clean. It's pure. Or to put it differently, God's name is not ordinary. It's not common. And that's an important reminder in light of the age in which we live where for the world around us, there's nothing sacred anymore. There's nothing that's revered in our day, but over against the spirit of our age, Scripture itself makes clear that God's name is holy. It's sacred. It's set apart. And for that reason, God Himself is concerned about His own name. And that too comes out here in Ezekiel chapter 36. God rises to the defense of His name. For in light of this passage, it's clear that God's name had been profaned. For example, verse 20 says, and, they, and when they entered unto the heathen, whither they went, they profaned My holy name. And I will explain later on in what way God's people had profaned His name. But the point is, they've profaned His name and God is not going to just stand by and let this continue to happen. Verse 21 says, but I had pity for My holy name. God had compassion on His name. He recognized that it has been profaned and He was not going to let that continue. God would sanctify His name. He would once again glorify that and He would do that by 
bringing his people back from captivity. They had been brought into captivity. That's the historical context. And now God is telling his people in this passage he's going to bring them back to the promised land for the sake of his name. Verse 23, I will sanctify my great name which was profaned among the heathen which ye have profaned in the midst of them. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, saith the Lord God, when I shall be sanctified in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land. And God would do this. Bring His people back from captivity for the sake of His name. Verse 22 puts it even stronger. Thus saith the Lord God, I do not this for your sakes, O house of Israel, but for Mine holy name's sake. That's a striking verse there. A reminder to us that when God performs His great, His mighty works, His works of salvation, He does so first and foremost for His own glory, for His namesake. So that it's not first and foremost about me. But it's first and foremost about our God. Because God's name is holy. And it's when we recognize this, that God's name is in fact holy, that we will come to see that it's a tremendous gift that this name has been given to us. Because He has given us His name. He's done that in revealing it to us on the pages of Scripture so that we can know about God. We've already established that God's names are, God's names reveal Himself, by His names He reveals Himself to us. And therefore, for Him to give us all these different names is for God to tell us about Himself, and that's a tremendous gift. But it goes beyond that because it's not just that God has revealed Himself to us. He's given us His name so that we can now speak to Him. What a gift that is. That we can now interact with the God of heaven and earth. We can call upon His name. But while those things are true, what's even more astounding is not just that He's revealed His name. Not just that we can use His name but that He has actually placed His name upon us. He's given us His name in that sense. And we see this in Scripture. When we think of another name that was changed, the name Jacob changed to the name Israel. God is putting His name upon Jacob because Israel L, the L at the end. That's God's name. God is giving His name to one of His covenant people. And God does this with all of His people. It's clear from Ephesians 3, verses 14 and 15. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named as members of the family of faith, we now bear the name of our Savior. We're called Christians. The name Christ, the Anointed One, is now applied to us. We bear His name. And the significance of this is that it's pointing to the fact that He has brought us into the closest possible relationship with Him. He's made us His covenant people. It's the significance of giving someone else your name. It's true among us. When a young man marries a young woman, that young man gives to the young woman his last name to signify that the two are now in a one flesh union. And if and when God blesses that family with children, that name is then passed on to them. They're given the the last name of their parents. Well, so it is with our God. 
He has put His name upon us. He's given us His name, signifying that we are now His adopted children. His sons, His daughters, and that we are the bride of our beloved Bridegroom, Jesus Christ. We've been given His name. So what are you now going to do with it, child of God? If we recognize the privilege and having the privilege and honor of having God's name, both the fact that it's been revealed to us, but more that it's been placed upon us, then we will take great care of that name. We will be careful in our use of it and we will seek to bear it well, which is to say we will seek to avoid all sinful profaning of His name. That from a negative point of view. And we will seek to use it instead with thankful reverence. That from a positive point of view. And we want to look at the negative and the positive in the second and third points of this sermon. Thanksgiving to God that He's given us His name, we seek to avoid all sinful profaning of God's name. And here we get to the heart of the third commandment. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. To take something in vain is to... That word vain means empty or nothing. So that to take God's name in vain is to treat it as though it is nothing. To empty it of all of its meaning. In other words, we take His name in vain when we treat it as though it is common. So it's no different than any other name. And there are three main ways that we can be guilty of this. By our own misuse of it. By allowing others to misuse it in our presence. And by not bearing that name well. First, we can be guilty of taking God's name in vain by our own misuse of it. The Catechism mentions some of the ways in which we can be guilty of this. Question 99 asks, what is required in the third commandment? And the answer is that we, not only by cursing or perjury, but also by rash swearing, must not profane or abuse the name of God. We can be guilty of this if we use God's name to curse. And that, the idea of cursing is to speak evil. And that would include speaking evil of God Himself. Speaking blasphemy. Doing what Job's wife told them to do. Just curse God and die. But cursing here also includes trying to curse someone else using the name of God to say, God curse you or put it a different way. That's sin against the third commandment. Catechism also speaks of perjury. Perjury would be lying under oath. That is, perhaps placing our hand on a Bible and saying, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, and then, so help me God, and then proceed to lie as though adding those words, so help me God, meant absolutely nothing. That's a sinful use of God's name. Catechism also speaks of Rash swearing. Rash swearing refers to taking an unnecessary oath. Saying the words, I swear to God, and then applying that to something that's meaningless, to something that's trivial. That's taking God's name lightly. That's making it common. Those are three ways that the catechism mentions. But there's other ways that we can be guilty of misusing it. We can be guilty of misusing it if like the world around us, we use it as a mere explicative. As a a way of expressing our surprise at something or our anger at something. It's common. All around us. Using God's name as though it has no meaning or significance. But now closer to home, We are guilty of this when we use God's name thoughtlessly. 
especially in our worship of Him, whether it be private or public. And I say closer to home because many of us may well be able to say, well, I'm not guilty of cursing or of perjury or rash swearing or using God's name just to express my surprise, but the commandment goes deeper. Because when we take God's name upon our lips without giving any thought to God, while our hearts are far from Him, then we are stripping that name of its meaning, of its significance, of its weightiness. And we do that when we pray to God. Perhaps saying our pre-meal prayer without actually giving any thought to God Himself. We're guilty of that when we sing the songs of Zion. Lifting up our voices and calling upon God's name, but our thoughts are a million miles away. We too are guilty of a sinful misuse of God's name. That's just the first way we can be guilty of sins against the third commandment. Secondly, We are guilty of this sin when we silently allow others to take God's name in vain. And that's what the Catechism teaches us next in answer 99. It goes on to add the third line, nor by silence or connivance be partakers of these horrible sins in others. That word connivance means literally to shut one's eyes. We would say to turn a blind eye, or in this case, to turn a deaf ear. Someone else takes God's name in vain and we are guilty of connivance when we just turn a deaf ear. Ignore it as though it never happened. In that case too, we are treating God's name as though it's common. God Himself rises to the defense of His name and we're called to do the same, but often we fail in this regard. When we allow others around us, those who we have a relationship with, co-workers or other family members to use God's name in an irreverent manner. We can also be guilty of this by allowing His name to be misused by what we watch on the television. Let's be honest here for a moment. How many TV shows, how many movies are out there that are void of this sin? Very, very, very few. You can hardly turn on the television to watch a show or a movie and make it five minutes without God's name being taken in vain. And we are guilty of silence or connivance when we just keep that same program on. When we allow them in our presence to continue to misuse God's name again and again and again. That's only the second way that we're guilty of this sin. By our own misuse of it. By allowing others to misuse it. And third, by not bearing His name well before others. And here, we depart from the catechism and we focus on Ezekiel 36, the passage in front of us, because this is what Israel was guilty of. In the context... God reminds them of their sinfulness when they lived in the land. Verse 17, Son of man, when the house of Israel dwelt in their own land, they defiled it by their own way and by their doings. Their way was before me as the uncleanness of a removed woman. Then it goes on to speak of their bloodshed and their idols. They were sinning. And therefore God disciplined them. He he brought the Babylonians to conquer them, to carry them away into captivity. That's verse 19. And I scattered them among the heathen and they were dispersed through the countries according to their way and according to their doings. I judged them. 
But now what follows is that this then, in this, Israel was guilty of profaning God's name in an interesting way because it gave the enemies of Israel occasion to speak evil against God. Notice that in verse 20. Verse 20, And when they entered unto the heathen, whether they went, they profaned My holy name when they said to them, These are the people of the Lord and are gone forth out of His land. And now if we're going to understand this, we have to make sure we have in, clearly in our mind who is the they that this verse is talking about. Verse 20, And when they, Israel, entered unto the heathen, whither they, Israel, went, they, Israel, profaned My holy name when they, the Babylonians, said to them, these are the people of the Lord and are gone forth out of His land. And we have to understand it that way because the subsequent verses make clear that Israel is the one who's profaned His name. Verse 21, which the house of Israel hath profaned among the heathen whither they went. So Israel's the one guilty of profaning God's name, but yet that last part of verse 20 cannot be about the people of Israel because the last part of verse 20 says, when they said to them, these are the people of the Lord. That's the Babylonians. They're mocking them. And really what they're doing is they're mocking God. These are the people of the Lord. What a weak God He must be. We had no problem conquering them. Their God could not defend them. What's going on here? Israel's sinfulness became the occasion for the enemies to speak reproachfully about God. And because it was Israel's sin, they're the ones that led to this occasion. They're the ones who are said to have profaned God's name because remember, they're the ones bearing God's name. They're the nation of Israel. They have the name of God upon them. And because they kept walking in sin, it became necessary for God to discipline them, to chastise them, and He would use this other nation to carry that out. And while it's true, this nation, the Babylonians, was but an instrument in His hands, the Babylonians did not see it that way. They took all the credit and they thought God was a puny, weak God because of Israel's sin. Israel profaned God's name because they did not bear His name well. And we too can be guilty of the same thing. For we have the name of our Savior upon us. We identify as Christians. But if and when we live hypocritically, if and when we sin openly before the world, we give the world occasion to say the same thing as the Babylonians. These are the people of the Lord. I thought they were supposed to be different. And yet here they are joining us in our sin. If we give the world occasion to speak that way, then we ourselves are guilty of profaning God's name. And we must understand this is a serious sin, whether it's on account of our own misuse of it, whether it's allowing others to misuse it, or whether it's because we did not bear His name well. We may not, we must not minimize the seriousness of this sin. We're tempted to do that. We're tempted to think that somehow this sin is not quite as bad as some of the others. Murder, that's obviously sinful. Adultery, that's obviously sin. St stealing, clearly sinful. But is it really that big of a deal to take God's name in vain? It is. And that comes out 
from the fact that of the Ten Commandments, it's only to the third that there is added those words, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. It's not after the sixth commandment that we read, and the Lord will not hold him guiltless that murdereth. It's not after the seventh commandment that God says the Lord will not hold him guiltless that commits adultery. It's only after the third. God is communicating the seriousness of this sin. And that's where the catechism is coming from when it has question and answer 100 as a part of the explanation of this commandment. Question 100, is then the profaning of God's name by swearing and cursing so heinous a sin that His wrath is kindled against those who do not endeavor as much as in them lies to prevent and forbid such cursing and swearing? And the answer is, it undoubtedly is. That is, it undoubtedly is such a heinous sin that God's wrath is kindled against those who commit it. And the catechism goes on to say, for there is no sin greater or more provoking to God than the profaning of His name. And therefore, He commanded this sin to be punished with death. That was the punishment in the Old Testament. One was put to death for committing this sin. And that means the New Testament parallel is that we could be put under church discipline for this. A man or a woman could be excommunicated out of the church if he or she would continue on impenitently in this sin. There's no minimizing it. The sin is provoking to our God. And it's in light of that that we must fall on our knees in repentance. Because I trust we recognize this is not just a sin out there in the world. This is a sin here that we are guilty of. But praise be to God, there is deliverance. And our Savior, Jesus Christ, the One who came into this world to take our sinfulness upon Him, including our own misuse of God's name, including our allowing others to misuse it, including our sin of not bearing the name of our God well, He took all that sin upon Himself. And for that sin, to use the language of the catechism, God's wrath was kindled against Him. And our God did not hold Him guiltless. But instead, through Pontius Pilate, He was declared guilty. He was sentenced to death. And that not on account of His own sin, but on account of our sins placed upon Him. And He went to the cross where He bore the wrath of God for our sins so that we might be delivered from that punishment that we deserve, namely death itself. But more than that, our Savior Jesus Christ kept the law perfectly on our behalf. Just to say, He never once misused it. And that's astounding when you stop to think about it. How easy is it for us to speak His name without thinking about it? Without a heart of love and reverence for our God. But Jesus Christ was never once guilty of that. Every single time He ever spoke the name of our God, He did so thoughtfully with a heart of love and reverence for the Father. He Himself never misused that name. Nor did He allow others to misuse it around Him. Our Savior was full of zeal for the honor, for the glory of our God. And it was, when it was necessary, he, he spoke against those who spoke evil of the Father. And you may be sure that He bore the name 
of God well. He made clear that He was the Son of God. But He never gave occasion for His enemies to blaspheme. So that at that trial with Pontius Pilate, they have to come with false witnesses. There's nothing that they can use against Him that would actually stick. He bore the name of God well. He kept all of God's law, including the third commandment. And it's that obedience that is now imputed to us, that's transferred over to our account, that becomes the basis, the foundation for our justification. For God to declare that we are righteous, not on the basis of our own law-keeping, but on the basis of Christ's saving work. There's deliverance from all our sins in Jesus Christ. And it's when that truth sinks down into our hearts that we will seek to thankfully revere His name. Out of thankfulness, we seek to use God's name with fear and reverence. And we are to use it. Some might be tempted to overreact. Well, if we're so prone to misusing God's name, maybe we should avoid using it altogether. Better, best not to even utter His name. And that is in fact the view of many Orthodox Jews with regards to that name Lord or Jehovah. Because of the third commandment, they avoid using it altogether. But that's not what our God wants. Our God would have us to use his name to do so with fear and reverence. That's the language of the catechism back in the second half of answer 99. The last three lines is the positive and briefly that we use the holy name of God no otherwise than with fear and reverence. And there's a number of ways we're to do this. The catechism mentions so that he might be rightly confessed. That's a right good use of God's name. Now, confessing His name, first of all, means believing in His name. Believing in Jesus Christ. Looking to Him for salvation, but then having believed in Jesus Christ, confessing that name. Being unashamed of the Gospel. Being willing to tell others what God has done for me. That's a reverential use of God's name. Second, the catechism speaks of worshiping Him, that He may be rightly confessed and worshipped by us. So that when we take His name upon our lips, we're to do so mindful of our God. With a heart full of reverence and love for Him. So that we're thinking about the words that we say when we're saying that pre-mail prayer or when we're singing the songs of Zion here among the assembly of the saints. But now to go beyond what the catechism says, a thankful and right use of God's name would be calling upon that name. It's what we see in some of the Psalms that we sung God's people calling upon Him, seeking deliverance, asking God that He would come and help them. And that's really what we do at the start of every worship service. Remember how the worship service begins. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, that's God speaking to us. And then our response, what we say in our hearts back to Him is our help is in the name of the Lord. We're saying this is the God who can help us. We're calling upon Him. We're expressing our humble dependence in His name, which is to say, in God Himself. We are to use His name with fear and reverence. We're to do this when we confess His name. We're to do this when we worship God through His name. We're to do this when we call upon His name. And if we could summarize all of it, we do this when we use God's name 
to enjoy covenant life with Him. Remember, He's placed His name upon us. Signifying that He has brought us into the closest possible relationship. So that we're His sons, His daughters. The bride of Jesus Christ. And He gives us His name. Now in the sense of revealing it to us so that we can use it to speak to Him. This is how we interact with God. This is how we address Him by using His names as a part of that life that we now enjoy with our God. So may God give us the grace to recognize His name as holy. To see it as a gift. And to use it with fear and reverence to glorify our God out of thankfulness for what He's done for us in Christ. Amen. Our Father, which art in heaven, we thank Thee for the precious gift of Thy name. And for giving us the very name of Thy Son, Jesus Christ, so that we are now called Christians. We are not worthy of this. This gift is entirely on account of Thy grace. And we pray for the grace that we need to avoid all sinful profaning of Thy name. And instead, to use Thy name with fear and reverence out of love for Thee. Hear this prayer for Christ's sake. Amen.